This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. We're two years old in terms of playing, uh, playing in the league. Had great success. Making the playoffs two years in a row is fantastic. Uh, we'd be still in the playoffs today had we not had that bad call. And uh, we won't get over it just yet, but we'll get over it next year when we're going all the way. Golden Edge back with you guys. Yes, it's the off season, but so much to get into. Talk about the Golden Knights and some of the changes that have been made. Decided to uh, pop on. We'll do this throughout the off season. Let you guys know update to what is going on with the Golden Knights. Maybe like a brief look at what the offseason is going to look like as well here on the Golden Edge podcast. Adam Hill, Ben Goats, Dave Shane here with you. Make sure you like, subscribe, and share everything you do with the podcast. And uh, let your friends know that we are uh, bringing you guys Golden Knights news around the calendar, not just during the season. A big offseason ahead for the Golden Knights, and it already got started. So let's jump right into it. And guys, uh, we heard there right off the top, uh, Bill Foley talking about it, a change in the front office structure. Not sure how much it's going to change things on a day-to-day basis, but certainly in name as Kelly McCrimmon bumped up from assistant GM to general manager, George McPhee moving up in the world, and uh, things seem to be staying in place, but the names have changed, and the biggest thing, Kelly McCrimmon staying around, the highly coveted Kelly McCrimmon around the league staying around in Vegas for the long term. Yeah, it was a really interesting move by the Golden Knights. Of course, McCrimmon had at least gathered some interest from the Edmonton Oilers for kind of their vacant GM position. Seattle's expansion team, you know, they don't have a firm timeline, but they were definitely interested in at least talking to McCrimmon about their potential GM position. So the Knights kind of got creative to keep a guy that they think very highly of And not just, of course, what he does personally, but how he works with George McPhee. I mean, they've talked about they're a partnership. You know, they're a married couple, essentially. I mean, McPhee says they finish each other's sentences like an old married couple. Are we buying that? Slightly. it, It was a little interesting to hear them talk about each other through the course of this press conference and basically be like, this is the, you know, McPhee saying this is the greatest professional relationship I've ever had like we're so in lockstep we never disagree that was a direct quote which I found interesting because I'm sure that's not entirely true but I'm sure it's Every, mostly everybody true. disagrees about something. exactly stuff comes up but yeah it really seems like they have empowered this brain trust with I'm sure a lot more money to stay together no matter what and I think you do kind of hear the bond between them when they talk about each other specifically uh, I thought it was interesting uh, when McPhee was talking about McCrimmon's family and his kind of reaction to that. So I think that's something we should actually give a listen to right now. This is a very good day for the Vegas Golden Knights. 
um, the decisions that have been made are what's best for the Vegas Golden Knights. I'm personally very, very happy um, to be able to do this. I'm uh, proud to be able to give this to Kelly because he is uh, more uh, than ready uh, to do this and do it well. So I'd like to say uh, congratulations to Kelly and to Terry. Uh, their son, Mickey, uh, happens to be standing in for Kelly at the Manitoba Hall of Fame today because Kelly's being inducted there. So not a bad day for a hockey man. And, uh, and Chelsea, who is at home watching uh, on television because someone has to watch their dog. Um, and uh, congrats uh, to Kelly's parents and... Uh, Big, <clears throat> we'll stop there. Uh, Big Brother Brad. So, go ahead, Kelly. <clears throat> you heard there one of a couple of very emotional moments of the press conference, actually. And uh, you, you I, I mean, I think one thing it shows is that, well, first of all, George McPhee, not a robot. I think not a we robot. Can, uh, we can uh, figure that out. But I think you see just how much. You know, he cares about Kelly McCrimmon and how, you know, how valuable he is to him, but also how much he cares about him on a personal level, because that is McPhee getting emotional about McCrimmon's history and his backstory. So I think that does show kind of the depth of their relationship. It's not just, you know, this working relationship that's just two hockey people talking hockey all the time. Well, I should point out at the very like Brad McCrimmon was um died in a plane crash with his hockey team. So yeah. for context there, that's what kind of is McPhee is getting emotional about is obviously Brad McCrimmon would probably love to be there for his brother, but due to circumstances, he could not. Yeah, for sure. And and Dave, what did you kind of uh, take out of that whole press conference? Well, I think that is that moment, you know, to me and all that, if, if we thought this was just a business card and a fancy office and maybe a raise, uh, you know, okay. I mean, George McPhee's still in charge, but like this clearly meant a lot to Kelly McCrimmon. It meant a lot to George McPhee. Like, this was not just a title change. This was not just a move to keep him here and whatever. Like, this was a big deal to Kelly McCrimmon, to George McPhee, to the organization. Like, you know, whether we want to kind of look at it in terms of, you know, how does it change things? Not much, but. To them, it clearly meant something. That that was the biggest takeaway from for, for me. When it meant that they get, they get to continue work together, because in all likelihood, uh, McCrimmon was going to go somewhere. And I, I mean, I I fully believe he was going to go to Seattle. I I absolutely think they would have hired him, and and you know their working relationship would have been over. So while I don't think it changes anything day to day in a in a you know who's making the decisions type of level, I think it certainly means that what they have built continues i think the other side of it too is there's a uh you know kind of put your money where your mouth is in terms of if we want you to make sacrifices as players and you know we talk about a team and an organization and you know kind of everybody pulling on the same rope and and those types of cliches like this is clearly george mcphee stepping aside a little bit and ceding some of the power to keep you know the organization and the in the structure together and obviously I'm sure the players, it's not, you know, lost on them, I guess, in the summer that when they get asked to do these types of things and they see it from upper management, from ownership and whatever, obviously it filters down. Um, I I think it's just one of those other, I guess, tone setters for an organization, Um, you know, things that as as this team is growing and, and, you know, evolving two, two to three years in, 
You know, you want to establish those types of things. And, and early on, they had a chance to do it. Obviously, George McPhee, I, I love the Bill Foley quote about the um, Kelly's the GM, George is in charge, but we're all together or however it was yeah. ordered. You know, like to me, that was that was kind of the in a nutshell, you know, everything. But that's how they want it. That's how Kelly wants to work. You know, I was trying to ask him, like, why does this appeal to you? You had a chance to I – mean, he clearly had a chance to run Seattle. Right. Uh, I mean, they would have, from all indications and everything that was kind of out there in NHL, grapevine, whatever you want to call it, like, they would have approved this summer, you know, him as the GM. It had everything gone well in, a, in an interview if if that's the, the route that he wanted to take. So, you know, run your own organization versus, you know – Stick with guys like Mark Stone and Ryan Reeves and Eakin and and Cody Glass coming through and kind of his, you know, his core a little bit. You know, we talked about how they divided it up 15-15 and, you know, took the league and, and each of them kind of worked collaboratively, you know, in in that way. And, you know, Kelly Kelly McCrimmon's had a lot of influence in terms of kind of his guys and and guys that as they were making those lists and and things like that for the expansion draft, who who he wanted and and you know, it was kind of painted to me. He's got a, a bit of attachment. You know, maybe we'll find out next week. You know, when he comes in and, and talks uh, to you guys for uh, for a little bit. You know, that that'll be kind of interesting and, and fun. But you know, I just look at Dave preview on our next podcast. Yeah, look at that. Look at you. Smart. Uh, so yeah, to me, the organizational structure stays largely the same. Uh, Kelly McCrimmon becomes more of the face, the guy other teams deal with directly. And the guy that, you know, selfishly for us that we probably deal with a lot more, uh, which I, I expect him to be more kind of open. And George McPhee has joked in the past he doesn't really say anything. We'll see if he kind of, you know, has his thumb on, on McCrimmon and what he does or if McCrimmon kind of becomes his own uh, personality and has his own way of, of dealing with things. But, uh, Ben, do you like the move for the Knights? Overall, yes. I think what Dave said is really crucial. This is a tone setter. And this is what I think smart organizations, you know, not just in sports, but in business, whatever you want to call it, do. They find ways to get creative to keep people that have helped make them successful. And in sports, you know, often we see that there's kind of this natural progression of if you're a rising person in a front office, you go jump to leave your other organization. But here you've got an owner who has said multiple times, we're not going to spend just to the cap. We will spend as much as we can to help make this organization successful. Also continuing to invest in this team and saying, you know, I'm not just going to invest in ranks and players. I'm going to invest in people. And if you do good work, I will try to find a way to reward you no matter what, obviously, the extra cost to his wallet is. And so I found that very interesting. And, I mean, it's been pretty obvious. This partnership has worked for three years. I mean, this is... Even though the Knights had a disappointing finish to the year, this is about as good of a run as you could have imagined yeah. for this team in its first two years. And I think it's important not to lose sight of that when discussing all of this. I mean, these are two guys that just met in a Vienna airport, which is a crazy specific origin story <laughs> uh, that they both came up with during this press conference. But they met in an airport, decided that, hey, let's try this out together. And it's kind of worked Better than I think anyone could have imagined. I mean, they seem to compliment each other. I like how Bill Foley at a season-ending press conference called them Mr. Inside and Mr. Outside because McCrimmon is the more outgoing, bold one. McPhee is the more, you know, inward-thinking, calculating one. And that 
kind of shared yin and yang seems to be working really well for the Knights. And I actually liked what McCrimmon had to say about their dynamic and how they approach things. And uh, let's take a listen to that now. Well, the thing that's uh, special about our uh, organization, our relationship really is just the collaboration. And, uh, you know, when we started, we had uh, 30 teams that we needed to learn those organizations inside out. We had a staff that we needed to hire. And uh, from day one, uh, from day one, we made every decision together. And when we uh, have uh, free agency meetings, when we have our meetings at the trade deadline, uh, our pro staff, who, uh, who, as I mentioned earlier, are here today, uh, George will make a call, he'll come back, we'll discuss it as a group. I'll make a call, we'll come back, we'll discuss it as a group. It's completely uh, transparent, collaborative, there's full trust uh, in our whole staff. I really believe that that brings you to good decisions. So day to day, you know, we're going to have uh, three days of meetings this week with the pros, five days next week with <clears> the amateurs. Uh, I suspect those meetings will look uh, pretty close to uh, what they looked like prior. So that's uh, that's where that probably uh, you know was going to be much uh, the same as it's been. So this all sounds good. I think it's all you know all of it makes sense. It makes sense they want to work together. It makes sense how well they've done, how successful they've been. That fully wants to keep things intact. Uh, but I am cynical by nature, Dave, as as you guys know. Uh, I'm going to throw this one out here. How much of this is yeah, we did everything right in the expansion draft and and in the in, in building a franchise and starting things off. We are not letting Seattle get that information. Ooh, well, I, yeah, not just the information, but the actual people, probably, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, if you think Kelly McCrimmon goes as, as the GM and he's in charge, there, like he's bringing dudes with him. Yeah. Or or women, or you know, lots of yeah. Be like you know organizational but, I mean, structure. Yes, I mean we're talking probably scouts and and who knows down to PR staff maybe and and things like that. Well, literally, he said if I got a chance to run an organization, I would run it like here, meaning the yeah. Golden Knights. So you could easily infer that that means some of the people too. Yeah. So in, in terms of all that, and in terms of I mean, not to be too effusive in praise, but I think part of the reason that this has worked so well for the last couple of years for the Golden Knights is they did it unbelievable job in putting front office and scouting and, and whatever together. Like I, I was joking with somebody, I don't remember if it's you or somebody in five years, how good is this 2017 draft that they put together? Like every prospect is something like yeah. we're talking about Lucas Elvinus and Ron Berg. And like, if they're not guys that get traded or what, you know, it just seems so rare to hit that many guys in a, in a draft, Cody glass, Brandstrom, Suzuki, like, Obviously, two of them have gone on, but they're still like major prospects. Yeah. And you know, Haig is a second round pick, and you know, they, I mean, they seem to hit on everybody. We'll see how the 2018 draft works out. But you know, to your point, I think those are people that probably get poached and and are in Seattle scouting the same thing for you know for that organization. So so I absolutely think that you know keeping the band together as they as they said. That all plays, you know, plays a part of it for sure. So this this news came down uh, just a couple of days after uh, what I think a lot of people didn't really know about uh, happens in sports uh, without having a team here in, in Vegas. But uh, locker cleanout day uh, happens, you know, just after a season ends in all major sports where guys come in, you know, they prepare for the offseason, they have their meetings, they get the stuff out of their locker and uh, pretty much everyone is available to the media. So we had that opportunity just a couple of days before uh, all this general manager news came out and uh was an interesting day but certainly 
it was a little different in that there wasn't as much talk about the off season and next season as there was kind of looking back. And that's not on the players. That's people that were asking them questions about it. But uh, everybody was still talking about game seven and the not a major and everything else. Uh, and we did get a little bit of news out of that, Ben, that the Golden Knights, at least some people in the front office at the very top, uh, want to push for some changes. Just the very top, basically, <laughs> yes. uh, in Bill Foley, because I asked him, you know, do you want to see major penalties become a reviewable play after what happened to you in Game 7 against the Sharks? And he said, absolutely. And I followed up, like, are you going to push for that change personally? And he said, yes. So he's going to try to petition, basically, the Board of Governors that this is a rule change that needs to happen for the NHL. I'll be curious to see how he does or whether the other owners kind of won't give him necessarily the time of day he expects because it's such a very specific issue that has really only affected their team. I think a lot of people don't want to see replay review expanded because already we have all these confusing replay reviews. I mean, just the other night in Game 7 against the Sharks and Avs, people are checking the bottom of Landeskog's skates to see whether he was on the ice or not during a crucial offsides call that happened after review. And so it'll be really interesting to see what comes out of it. McPhee and Gerard Gallant were definitely more tentative about it, just kind of being like, eh, we'll see, kind of out of our I w- hands. I wonder if they are or if they don't want to come across as pouting. Well, yeah. I think they, yeah, or get fined or something yeah. like that, yeah. yeah. Bill Foley has none of these issues. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, fine me? Okay, here. I'll sell right. a couple extra bottles of wine so and uh, pay that fine, no problem. He came straight out and said, yeah, someone from the league uh, called me, apologized to me. He said a high-ranking senior executive, <laughs> quote, as senior as it gets, <laughs> yeah. which is uh, pretty close to throwing that person under the bus. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, then was on his uh, big crusade for replay review. So we'll see if it happens. But that was certainly a very interesting takeaway of how just heated he still was a couple days later, especially after McPhee had come in and been like, you know, it's tough, but we're going to take the high road. And I took, you know, his usual speech of we're going to take the rearview mirrors off and just go. <laughs> and then, of course, you got Bill Foley standing up there going, yeah, I'm not really a high road guy. Yeah, not really my nature. But I'll try. <laughs> Which is great. Uh, Dave, do you expect changes to be made in that department? Do you think the league will start? Because uh, Foley said he's going to push for it. So I, I, I envision like the owner's meeting and him just every time a subject is brought up. Yeah, but guys, guys, the major penalty replay review thing. Like I, I don't think he's going to drop yeah. it that easily. So right. could changes be made? Can, can you picture like everybody in like Toronto, Montreal, just like looking at like the kid in the back of the class, like yeah. just be quiet. Like, Shut up, fool! Like, like, new guy, what are you doing? <laughs> you know? But I mean, I think it was such a visible play. It would, you know, obviously it's gonna, I, it's got to come up, right? Yeah. I mean, for sure, they got to at least like talk about it and whatever. But at least from. You know, some of the other reporters and, and things like that that have kind of reported on this, it doesn't seem like there's a real appetite for more review around the league. That that seems to be kind of the sense, you know, is is like this stuff is slowing it down and, and we'd rather just kind of play through it and figure out a better way to, uh, you know. I, I honestly don't get that. I, I, I don't get it in any sport. It's my argument in every sport. And I think it's always from when I was a little kid, like I just want it to be right. I don't get like. I've never been sitting at a game except for deadline, and that's our issue. But 
as as a fan or somebody that watches games, I've never sat there and be like, oh, this review is taking forever. I'm checking Twitter. I'm like, yeah. hey, I think this should be this call. I mean, and like interact. Let me. I mean, let me first off say, like, I'm not saying that I think no, oh, no. nothing's going to happen because clearly, like, something could happen. It was yeah. it was such a high profile enough thing that that they could clearly look at it and at least say majors. You know, we're going to do this if it was two. We can look out if it's five or revert. You know, whatever they can figure something out. It absolutely could happen. Um, and as much as we're joking about it, but but I do think just to your point about the the replay and stuff, uh, I mean, uh, hockey just feels like such this like traditional kind of sport. And it was something I remember early on talking to Max Pacioretty about something and just kind of getting this feel of, you know, hockey just kind of does it its its way. Not necessarily like this old boys network, but you know this very traditional kind of feel to it. And there's certain things you do, certain things you don't. A lot of unwritten rules. You know, et cetera, et cetera, and at some point the replay stuff just becomes, you know, like overkill for, for some folks. I, you know, and I don't. I'm kind of with you on it. Like, if you have the technology and it's 2019, like get it right. Yeah, I'm all, I'm I'm a baseball guy that's for robot umpires for the strike zone. Like, I'm I'm done with umpires <laughs> calling balls and strikes. I I don't care about any of that stuff. I know there's people that do. Dan Angel Hernandez, huh? Yes, enough. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I know there's people that that care about those things. Like I, I just don't. I don't. I've never sat there and said, oh, "Ben, Mister Millennial, I'm sure is you're. It's too long for you. You don't want the long replays." There are certain times where uh, I definitely thought, even at T-Mobile Arena this season, that these reviews were taking too long. I think my biggest issue is replays. I wish there was like a time limit on it because so long we just try to say, like I said, uh, Gabriel Landeskog's skate. You know, might have been like a fraction of the inch off the ice or something. If you can't tell on like first or second glance, all right, it stands. We move on. That's the stuff I don't like. Uh, my example in baseball is I hate the guy whose shirt comes a half inch over the bag and he gets called out yeah. uh, stealing. I hate that. The offsides thing is also a pet. Like I hate a guy who's like, you know, skate is, you know, a fraction of an inch. You know, he drags it up too early or puts it down too early. And so call it offside. That invalidates this whole goal because this person had a fraction of an inch. Will we see like a, a, I mean, it's a, it would be a huge change, but an intent to make a change doesn't count as offside type of, of Uh, are you talking about the the Colorado game the other night? Yeah. That was such a weird play. So I'll actually, another reporter actually kind of brought this up and I'll give him a lot of credit for this is because I thought the same thing at the time is like, okay, if you're going to call it offsides, but if it's not offsides, like, why isn't it too many men on the ice? Yeah. Like, if he's in the play, he's in the play. Yeah. So if he's on the ice and what, like, if you're saying it's not offside or he's onside, well, then they should have been penalized two minutes. Right. So, I mean, there's like 50 gazillion different ways to, like, <laughs> right. twist this and whatever. I guess my point with all this and, and whatever is I still appreciate the human element of it. And as a writer, and yes... It's selfish because we get to write about it and it makes the stories. But but just there's a human element to all this. And and Don Denkinger missing a call in the 85 World Series or whatever. And, you know, who was the guy who had the perfect game? Um, Armando Galarraga. Yes. And, yeah. you know, what? it just stuff happens. It's sports, you know. Um, there was something, uh, something happened. Oh, there are too many men on the ice call like 40 years ago. Uh, Boston, Montreal, like today is the anniversary of it. And I think it was a legit, like, there was, like, a, a joke about how the linesman said, like, well, I wasn't going to call it when there were six or seven of them on the ice, but when it got to nine, I had to call it. <laughs> but 
but there's still just that human element of refereeing and, and whatever that just makes sports great to oh, me. And, so and sometimes, different. sometimes it's an error, you know. Sometimes Earl Hebner or, or whatever, you know, in wrestling. Earl, right? Earl Hebner, yeah, wrestling ref. He's supposed to miss calls. Right, but like that, and, and not, I'm not going to compare. Are you advocating for instant replay in r- world and, wrestling yes, federation absolutely. or WWE? Go for it. But, you know, it's to me, like, that's just part of it all, that the, the referees are human, and sometimes that happens, and sometimes your team gets screwed. Like, can I say that? I don't know. <laughs> sure, yeah, you can say screwed. <laughs> like, but, you know, that that's what – the beauty of sports is sometimes to me i don't i don't know well it wasn't too beautiful for cody eakin i guess i mean that's that's one guy who uh has to live with and you know i'm I'm sure he understands that it was it was the wrong call and you know there's not much he can do about it it's something he does all the time but uh he did have to have to live with being called for that major penalty that led to the big comeback for the sharks and ended the golden night season uh he did not talk after the game but he did talk uh, at Locker Cleanout Day. So uh, let's hear a little bit of what Cody Eakin had to say. Well, first I figured out what happened. Uh, I really didn't know. I thought I got to, you know, the penalty was actually when they called me out of the box. I was like, okay, they just reviewed it and realized it wasn't a penalty. Head back to the bench and they're like, no, you're gone. So I was like, yeah, okay. right to the room where all the extra guys were watching it. I watched the replay, you know, figured out pretty quickly exactly what happened. Watched it 20 times and went to uh, the locker room, sat there, and watched it. So we hear from Cody Eakin a couple of days removed uh, from the penalty called against him, and it was a very difficult thing for him to go through. Uh, certainly you can uh, can hear the emotion. There was, there was plenty of emotion in what Cody Eakin uh, was saying, and you have to feel for a guy who went through that, but uh, it is kind of that that was what started the off season. It was, you know, they lose the game seven a couple of days later. They, you know, they finally talk about it. Uh, Cody Eakin talks about it. And that is the official start of the off season for the Golden Knights. And it could be a very impactful off season. A lot of decisions to be made, a lot of, um, you know, negotiating with the salary cap. And it could involve a guy like Cody Eakin. I mean, there's there's contract statuses to get into, but. Cody can could be a guy that becomes expendable with with his salary. It could help clear out uh, some space for the Knights, and I think it's you know it's not something of hey the Golden Knights are going to trade him because he had that penalty. I'm sure some people will think that, but I, I think Cody Eakin was a guy that might have been available anyway uh, going into this offseason. So we'll see how that how that plays out. But do you either of you guys foresee? Uh, a major trade being made with one of the players under contract that could help clear out space for the Knights. It'll definitely be really interesting, and that's something we'll have to try to pin, you know, Kelly McCrimmon potentially down on. This is a team that has less than a million in cap space projected, according to CapFriendly.com. Now they can exceed the cap by $5.25 million once they put David Clarkson on long-term injured reserve. If you don't know the name David Clarkson, it's because he's been on long-term injured reserve each of the past two years, and he's been basically a cap filler for the Knights when they had to have a salary cap floor their first season as an expansion team. But it'll be interesting to see because you've got a lot of guys that you potentially would at least want to consider bringing back, or guys like Nikita Gusev and Jimmy Schultz, who you definitely want to bring back, but you have to bring back at some cost to you. And then, of course, the big fish that I'm sure we'll be talking about a lot until he is under contract again, either with the Knights or potentially someone else, is William Carlson. That's the big decision they're going to have to make this offseason. 
Is, how much of a decision is that? I mean, he's been very important on the first line for the Knights uh, as a center, as a, as a effective two way player. He didn't put up the quite quite the same stats as, as he did last year uh, in his second season with the Knights, but certainly a very important player uh, to the Golden Knights. Do you foresee a circumstance where they don't bring William Carlson back? I mean, nothing would surprise me. Hmm? I mean, I'll say that nothing would surprise me. Um, do I expect him to? be on the team and, and be, you know, in training camp and all that. Yes. But if he's traded at the draft, like it totally, it wouldn't shock me. Um, if something else happens or, you know, what, like, I just think it's such a, a, a weird, not so much unique, but just, I'm, I'm struggling for the right word. Tenuous situation. Maybe that's the right word. Because if they don't get this done in the summer, like you've got all of the next trade deadline, rental, whatever, and he's a UFA in 2020, and if he has anything close to a good season, he cashes in huge. And he probably puts himself out of the price range of the Golden Knights at that point. And why wouldn't you want to be a UFA if you're William Carlson in 2020 coming off three really good seasons if that's the case? So. The Golden Knights have to get this done this summer. Maybe not necessarily long term. Maybe they can do a bridge deal, you know, two, three years, just something by, you know, some of his UFA years and, and until he's thirty or something like that. But they ha- it's, it's a huge thing this summer. If he ends up with a one year contract, meaning if he does it like last summer where he signs a one year deal to avoid arbitration. Or if he actually has to go to an arbitration hearing, that is the absolute worst case scenario for for the Golden Knights. So, yeah, I mean, I, I would expect he wants a long term deal. I think the Golden Knights would be much more comfortable signing something long term, so they avoid a lot of that. Although maybe they want the flexibility as well to to have a guy like that heading into a contract year where, hey, if it gets to the trade deadline and you want to try to make a splash, or you know, maybe you want to acquire some more assets for the future, whatever you want to do. Uh, with Carlson, maybe it it does suit the team to, you know, to have him on a shorter deal. I I, I don't know. We'll we'll see how they uh, how they play this out. I think it's a one of the, it's certainly one of the top storylines uh, heading into the off season uh, with the Knights, and there's there's several of them. So uh, we'll have plenty of time to talk about it as the off season progresses. We'll do uh, some more podcasts, but uh, let's just hit on some of the other choices that they have coming up, and I think. One that's really going to be tough for the fans to watch, I think, is Derek England. Uh, and, you know, I know, Ben, I know you talked to him uh, at Locker Cleanout Day just as the season was ended, and he wants to be back and he wants to play for the Knights. I don't know if that's mutual. It's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out. Because, yeah, as you mentioned, he says specifically he's basically going to plan and train this offseason like he's going to play for another season in the NHL. And specifically, he hopes that that season is with the Knights. And obviously, you would understand why, because of all the shared history he and this organization have together. As He's obviously one of the first guys that got the A for an assistant captain. He, of course, had that uh, incredible speech at the Golden Knights home opener that is going to be reprinted and talked about for years and years, if not just straight up decades and decades in this town. But he's 37 years old. He'll be 38 at the end of next season and his five on five numbers if you look at some of the analytics were really not good this year i don't even think you have to look at the analytics if you watch the games you can kind of tell that too yeah it's tough because obviously part of it is 
He was on either the second pair with Shea Theodore or on the first pair with Nate Schmidt for the entirety of the year. So those are, you know, a top four role where you're getting a lot of high end guys from the opposing team that you're going to go against. And then that makes it interesting because his five on five numbers, not great, but he is still the team's most relied upon penalty killer. He played over three minutes shorthanded per game, which is the most of any nice player. So he is a key part of that penalty killing unit. And so do they have another guy who can just step into that role to replace England? And then, if, but then you have to weigh, is it worth potentially bringing him back as basically just like your penalty killing guy? Can you have a guy in your sixth defenseman that you play that's basically just there to kill penalties? It's, it's an interesting conundrum and a debate that the Golden Knights are going to have to have, not just because obviously all that I laid out of him as a player, but obviously you've got him as the person to consider yeah. if he's a guy that's part of your leadership circle and of course a guy that is forever ingrained in the history of this city in this franchise yeah i think if his name was johnny smith and and he just you know played for the team this year hadn't played last year didn't have the speech didn't have everything and you know with the involvement in the community and everything else i don't think that this is even a conversation we have it's a guy that's moving on and you're you know bringing up a young guy and filling the roster spot i don't think organizations really take that into account but you know the fans here are probably not going to be thrilled a lot of them if if Derek England is gone I think ideally for the team Derek England would say hey you know what I would love to stay with the team I want to work in the front office like give me a job upstairs I'll move up there and you guys can move on uh, with your defenseman but I I don't know that that's what he wants as you said he wants to play he wants to play for the Knights if he wants to play it might have to be somewhere else it does become a uh, kind of a tricky situation so Dave how do you see this one playing out I'm not sure to be quite honest um I think a lot of it is going to depend on what they do in terms of some of the moves that we talked about earlier, um, like with Eakin and, and maybe some of the other guys uh, clearing cap space and, and what have you for the other moves. Um, if a guy like Colin Miller, who you know was a healthy scratch for game one of the, of the Shark Series, had at least a couple uh, – Stints in Jargland's doghouse yeah. during the regular season. And he's a guy who makes a lot of money and probably would would draw some attention on. The yeah, especially as a right hand shot. Um, those are always you know valued in, in the NHL right shot defenseman. Uh, if he's a guy that moves, you know maybe it, it's it's something that there's only one or two guys in Chicago that that they say okay they're ready and maybe Derek England beats somebody out in training camp. I don't you know I could see it. Um, but I think a lot of it is just going to depend on some of the other moves first. Um, and then maybe they're able to come back to Derek, you know, and say, okay, you know, if you sign for, you know, X amount of money and, and one year or whatever, like, you know, we're good to roll. But I, I do think it's going to depend on some other things. So it's hard to predict. It's, you know, I would say 50, 50, I guess, if, if he comes back, as we, as we said, we have we have a whole offseason to talk about a lot of these moves, but uh, let's go quickly on two of the other guys that are uh, potentially available in pierre Edward Belmar and Ryan Carpenter. We're not sure what their uh, offseason status will be. Obviously, Carpenter said he wants to play for the Knights again, but he obviously is uh, uh, you know going to figure out what the best fit is for him and what the team wants to do with him. And uh, Belmar, another, another very interesting situation as a guy who's starting to get up there in the 30s. Yeah, no, it'll be interesting to see what he can do for himself. I think we've talked a lot about we really respect 
Belmar because he knows what he is. And that self-awareness as a player is really interesting to me. He has said multiple times, I'm a fourth line center. I'm out there to defend, kill penalties. If I score, really it's a bonus. And he's not looking to score. And so that's interesting. And so these are the kind of luxuries a fourth line center who knows his role. Those are the kind of luxuries that are hard to keep around when you've got guys making a ton of money, like Mark Stone is about to make $9.5 million next year. Marc-Andre Fleury and Max Pacioretty are going to start making $7 million a year next year. So those are the guys, the fourth-line centers, are the guys that get squeezed out when you are in a cap crunch like that. So those are going to be tough decisions for them to make. Do you let a Belmar walk? Maybe you bring back a Carpenter because it'll probably be cheaper yeah. to fill that fourth-line center and, role. Gallant loves him. Yes, he definitely loves him. And so you've got those decisions to make. And then if, just quickly, you've got restricted free agent decisions, too, on Tomas Nosek, Malcolm Subban, your backup goaltender. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, you know Jimmy Schultz, the college free agent from St. Cloud State you brought in, and Nikita Gusev, the Russian uh, winger you brought in, who they obviously like, but he didn't play during the playoffs, so you're still kind of figuring out what you have there. But right, he, sc- right. he scored today in the uh, World Championships. There you go. By nice. The, by, uh, by, for Russia, if I can spit that out, there you go. Hopefully, we'll get a maybe like a Russia Canada. Yeah, we'll get the Nikita Gusev watch going yeah. or something. You know? uh, wrapping things yeah. up here, as we said, plenty to talk about in the off season. But uh, Dave, which of those kind of under the radar decisions are you watching closely? I mean, I think they're all tied together, but I think just kind of the Bellmer Carpenter, um, and then I'll even throw because I think they're all related. I'll throw all this in too. Is Eric Howla and Eakin, and who ends up as like the third line center? I can't see Cody Eakin playing as a fourth-line center, especially not for a $3.85 million salary. Um, it just seems too expensive for a fourth-line center. And I don't think that's his best role either, yeah. uh, if we're really going to break break it down. But I, I just think you know that third and that fourth-line center is going to be really interesting, how they how they do it, uh, you know how it all shakes out. And, and long-term, I'm just really interested to see Gusev and where he fits in. How much he can produce? I mean, is he going to be, you know, just a mid-tier guy, or is he going to be, you know, there are Temi Pernarin? Because if he's anything close to, you know, a sixty-five to seventy-point guy, like Cha-Ching, you know, I mean, you've hit the jackpot, you yeah. know. Still think he should have played in probably Game Five, but that's uh, that's something we can continue to analyze. Uh, as we go through this offseason, again, we'll be with you throughout the offseason. Hopefully, Kelly McCrimmon, as we said, uh, joining us to break down his philosophies and what his new role is uh, as general manager with his promotion. Uh, but thank you guys for listening. Make sure you share, like, subscribe, comment, all of those things. Let us know uh, how you are liking it and share with your friends that will be here throughout the offseason. We'll get far more in-depth into some of these free agent decisions and potential roster moves as we move through the offseason, the draft coming up in just a little over a month, and uh, development camp, all of those things. We'll be with you for all of it. For Dave Shane, Ben Goats, I'm Adam Hill. Again, Golden Edge Podcast. Check it out wherever you find podcasts, and we will talk to you guys again very, very soon.